0: So I have the, the great privilege of sharing the message with you guys today. This is gonna be my, uh, I guess, farewell sermon. And um, I just wanna say thank you to everyone. Um, I know I've been saying it again and again, but I'm really just very thankful for all the love and support that, that myself and our family, we've received. And so, um, you know, as I've already mentioned, it was a very difficult decision for us. But um, as we as we do make the transition, if you guys could keep us in your prayers, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, as I was thinking about what what I wanted to share um, as my I guess final message before we left Wailai, um I thought about this this passage in Ephesians, and so. I actually want to talk about prayer today, prayer. So I've titled my sermon today, A Powerful Prayer. Um, We're going to look at an important prayer that Paul prayed for the Christians in Ephesus. And those of you guys who have been in church for a while, you kind of know the background of Ephesus and and, and this letter that Paul is writing. But I find it interesting that... um, you know, in, in the church, no matter how long you've been in the church, you can always preach on the same topics over and over, because it's as if, as Christians, we need a constant reminder of the things that we call the basics, and so today, as we look at what prayer Paul prayed, um, it might be something that's not so new to us, but I think that's okay. You know, prayer is something that we all do, Right? Hopefully, um, as Christians, you know, we realize that prayer is, is us exercising our faith and, and letting our requests and uh, needs be being made known to God. But not just those things. Even when we are thankful, we pray to God and we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for all the things that you've provided us with. And prayer is such a vital part of our spiritual lives. You know, we we can look all throughout the Bible, and we can find prayers everywhere. So prayer is something that needs to be a part of every single one of our Christian lives. But as I was thinking about prayer, this week I asked myself this question, which was, where did I learn how to pray? Maybe you guys can ask ask yourselves this right now. Where did you learn how to pray? For those of us who grew up in the church, we probably heard prayers weekly, if not daily. We heard it from our parents. Our parents would pray with us. We would come to church, and we would hear prayers recited in Bible studies before we ate our meals. We would constantly hear prayers. And for those who have come to faith later on in life, you might not have known how to pray. And so once you started to attend church and attend Bible studies, and you would hear other people pray, and you would learn to mimic or follow those prayers. And there are all different kinds of prayers. But one thing that I believe is true is that as we mature in our, in our faith, in our spiritual walks, our prayers also begin to change. I remember when I first became a Christian, I prayed foolish prayers. Stuff like, God, please help me to get the, the closest parking spot to the mall so I don't have to walk as far. And in my immaturity, God would, I don't know if it was God, it might have just been, you know, I came at the right time, but I would get that spot. But if I'm still praying that prayer 20, 30, 40, 50 years After being a Christian, then I think that there's something that needs to be questioned. Where is my faith? Where am I at in my spiritual walk? Today, as we look at this prayer, I think that it's a very important prayer. And every text in the Bible is important, but the church fathers have called this uh, called these specific texts a crucious locus, which is talking about a crucial location. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 today, this is a very important text because it's a crucial location or a crucial part of Scripture. The reason why it's crucial is because it teaches us a prayer that shows that we've matured in our faith. But not only that, it teaches us a prayer that, of how we can begin to mature spiritually. I'm not talking about a name-it-and-claim-it type of theology. I'm not talking about a speak-it-into-existence type of prayer. But I'm talking about a prayer that we recognize our lack and our inability but we also recognize that our God that we believe in is able to do far more than we can ever ask for. We recognize that the the change that we want to see in our lives, it, it has to come from outside of us, or rather from the Spirit that lives within us. We're going to be looking at a prayer that Paul prayed for the Christians in Ephesus. A prayer that's sincerely pleading for the power of God to fill us, to change our lives so that we would not live our lives just like saying, okay, you know what? I've prayed the prayer. I've secured my spot in heaven. Now I can just live however I want. But rather a prayer that leads our every single moment our every single day with purpose, doing the will of God. So as we go into it, I'm going to highlight three things in Paul's prayer today that I believe that we can start to begin to pray on our own. And I think that as we learn about this prayer, we're going to learn about a prayer where we're asking for for Jesus to reign supreme in our lives where nothing else in this world can ever compare. And I think that's the type of life that we have to live as Christians. So let's look at the text today. We're going to read uh, verses 14 through 21. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen so you can follow along. This is what the, the Word of God says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, The first thing that I want us to look at today is this. It's a prayer for our inner being. If we look at verses 16 and 17, it says, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The first thing that I take notice of here is that Paul prays for us to be strengthened in our inner being. As we're living in this world, we are bombarded with so much of the, this value of the external. Think about it. When you go to the grocery store, when you're standing in line, what do you see next to you? You see magazines that are constantly telling you, hey, your body image, what you look like, what you have, this is what's valuable. You go on to social media and there's Friends that are constantly updating you on the progress of their lives. Hey, look at my new car that I bought. Hey, look at my new house that I have. Hey, look at me at my, you know, I'm 60 years old, but I've got six-pack abs. That's actually a very, very uh, difficult thing to have, so I would probably do that too, right? But... What we are facing as we're living in this world is that there's so much that's focused on the external or what Paul would say is the outer man rather than the inner man or the inner being. And so I find it very interesting that Paul is not praying for the outer man, but he says that we would be strengthened in our inner being. I want us to think about the prayers that we've been praying What have your prayers been about this past week? What have you been praying about year after year after year? Are we praying like Paul? Are we valuing and asking the Lord to strengthen us in our inner being? Or are we focusing on the wrong thing? on the outward things. My prayer and my encouragement to all of us today is that we would be focused on praying and asking the Lord to be strengthened with His power in our inner being. And that's what Paul begins to pray for the Ephesians church. His focus is a petition that is asking the Lord to change us from the inside. You know, Paul, along with many of us, have come to realize that the outward, our physical being, is slowly wasting away. You know, some of you guys may be able to relate, but I was on Facebook this week, and it reminded me, hey, this is what happened 10 years ago. And so I looked at the picture of myself, and I looked at the picture of myself now, and I realized there are certain things that, are just out of control it's not in my power to maintain as much as I loved all the hair that I had 10 years ago unfortunately I don't have that now I still have some thank God but you see our outer self is wasting away if you're young and you're sitting here today enjoy it while you can 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, everything's going to be sagging. You're going to be losing things that you never thought you'd lose. But that's the reality. And I I think that that's what Paul knew from a very, very strategic point. And and he said, hey, there's no point in praying for something that's wasting away. But he said, more importantly, we need to pray for the inner being. So in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And and the context of this is that he's he's talking about the gospel and how our we're living our lives to be changed and renewed internally, and we are looking toward, toward an eternity in heaven. That's our home, not this place, not this earth, not this body so paul he begins to pray for the inner being to be strengthened what is he talking about when he says the inner being he's talking about our thoughts our morality our heart he's speaking about the center of our being where all of that flows from so let me ask you again what have your prayers been about these days What is it that we've been making the effort to pray and ask God for? Are we praying for things that shouldn't really matter as much as we make them out to be? Paul prays for the inner being. And what he's essentially praying for, he's saying that Jesus needs to be at the center of our lives. Jesus is the one who leads us in our every decision. And if He isn't for any one of us here today, then we need to start doing that. For those of us who are praying this type of prayer, where where we're seeking God and we're seeking Him in, in all that we do, then I believe that our thoughts, our actions, our hearts... The words we speak, they are being strengthened by the Spirit of God that lives in us to carry out His will in our lives. That's how we bring glory to Him. That's how we shine the light of Jesus as we go out into this world. You know, this is the second prayer that Paul prays in in this letter to the Ephesian church. The first prayer we find in chapter 1 where he talks about A prayer of having our eyes opened up to who Jesus is. That's also a very important prayer that we need to pray because if we don't have a connection, if we don't make Jesus the Lord of our lives, then we're not gonna pray this type of prayer. Paul is praying specifically for Christians. For people who have made Jesus the Lord of their lives, that's why we can ask for our our inner being to be strengthened by Him. Paul's focus was eternity. He was dying to himself every single day. His life was was living a life that had been transformed by the gospel that he experienced. Not Not the gospel that he knew in his head but the gospel that he knew and he understood and he was living out in experience in his life. Where is our focus in our lives? What are the things that we're focusing on? Paul says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul tells us that if we want to walk in the Spirit, I mean, when we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That means that we need to constantly be dependent upon the Holy Spirit that's in us. It means saying no to sin and yes to God. No to sin and yes to God. When we do that continually, we're, we're being obedient to the Spirit of God that lives in us. But check this out. As we continue in this prayer, Paul says this. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I want us to think about that for a second. Paul's praying so that we would be strengthened in our inner being so that Christ would dwell in In our hearts. As Christians, doesn't Christ already dwell in us? Then why is Paul praying this prayer? Why is he asking for Christ to dwell in our hearts? We can't see it in the English, but in the Greek, the word dwell, it means something like settle down or feel at home. So I want you guys to imagine this, okay? Let's put it into perspective. Let's say you invited me over to your house, and you say that saying that many people say, make yourself feel at home. So I said, okay, let's see what's in the fridge. (laughs) Open up the fridge, see what I want, take it out. You know what, I'm a little hungry. You said make yourself feel at home. All right, I'm going to turn on the stove. Cook some stuff. You know, I don't like to do dishes right after I eat, so I'm going to leave that for a couple days later. Let me go to the restroom. I'm going to leave the seat up. Because you said, make myself feel at home. So I want you guys to think about that for a second. When we invite Christ into our hearts and we say, Jesus, dwell in me. We're, we're essentially saying, Jesus, You can do whatever you like because I have made you Lord of my life. There's a book written by a Presbyterian minister who who passed away. His name is Robert Boyd Munger. And the book is called My Heart, Christ's Home. It's a very old book. It's a very thin book. If you guys ever get a chance, I actually recently found it. um, It's available online. So if you Google it, it will show up. It's like six pages long. But in that book, he gives us a, a unique perspective about what it means to make Christ dwell in our hearts. And he talks about these different rooms that are different areas of our lives where some of us, we say, okay, Jesus, you can have this area of my life. You can have this area of my life. But there's this one closet or this one room where we say, Jesus, don't ask about that. I want to have control over that. Have we surrendered every area of our lives to Jesus? Is Jesus dwelling in our hearts? Is He Lord over the things that we read, the things that we watch? Is He Lord over our bank accounts, Is He Lord over our relationships? Is He Lord over the things that we desire? Maybe it be academics or fame or money or power. Maybe for some of us it's our children. Is Jesus Lord over our conversations, our time? I'm talking about it all. When we invite Christ into our heart and we say, "Lord, would you dwell? Would you have complete control and freedom over my life?" That's what Paul's praying. There's a reason why he's praying for that. So the first thing that we look at is that it's this prayer for, the, for our inner being. Okay, the second point is this. We see a prayer for His love. A prayer for His love. In verse 17b and 19 it says this, That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If Christ isn't dwelling in your heart, you're not going to know how much He loves you. Let me say that again. If Christ isn't dwelling in your heart, you're not going to know how much He loves you. Some of us, when when bad things happen in our lives, or things don't go the way that we want, we get upset at God. And I'm not saying this is the reason all the time, but sometimes the reason is because we actually don't truly understand how much God loves us. You guys, most of you guys have seen my, my two boys, but imagine if my youngest boy, he's asking me for something. Actually, he did it this morning. He woke up as I got up, and then he's like, Dad, can I play games? And he grabs the Nintendo Switch, I said, no, you can't. In that moment, that's his desire, but I have to tell him no. You know, sometimes in our lives, some things happen that are out of our control and sometimes very tragic. But when we don't have Christ dwelling in us, when we don't know how much he loves us, we tend to get upset at him, we we tend to blame him. And we know what happens after that. We become bitter. We say, I don't need God. I don't need the church. And we walk away. But when in reality, if Christ was dwelling in our hearts, we would know how much he loves us. This is what Paul prays, so that we would have the strength to understand the scope of Christ's love for us. You know, people who don't go to church, they can know in their minds on a basic level of of the love that the Bible speaks about. They can know, oh yeah, you know, I've heard that saying before, God loves us. God loves you. But when Christ dwells in our hearts, our understanding and our scope of God's love for us changes. It grows deeper. It grows wider. As Paul is saying, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth, that changes. It goes from uh, a knowing and it's not just an intellectual thing, but it goes to an experiencing. And that's what Paul means when he says it surpasses all knowledge. Paul is praying that we would come to know his love more. Many of us were married or we've had, we have parents that are married and we see their, their love for each other. I think it's so amazing because there are so many parallels that we can see in the physical that, that translate over into spiritual truths. When, you're, when you see your like, parents fight, but one person is, is constantly trying to understand and love and, and forgive, you realize, man, there's something, there's something about that parent it's different. But when you see both of them trying to understand, then then we're, we're displaying God's love that we've experienced in our lives. We need to pray for a deeper understanding of God's love. One thing I want to just quickly highlight, and I think this is so important in verse 18. It says. May we have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, and depth of Christ's love. What this makes me think about is the fact that God has not called us to be Lone Ranger Christians. That's why we're gathered here together to worship God as a church, as the body of Christ. You see, if you want to grow in the next level of experiencing God's love, It's not going to happen by you living by yourself in isolation. (coughs) Excuse me. It comes when we're living and doing life together as a church. So he says, with all the saints, his desire is that all the saints would know this. And I can't see us growing in the love of God when we are living in isolation, when we're trying to do it on our own. But when we gather together and when we worship God together, when we pray together, when we serve together, when we share our burdens together, that's when we experience a deeper level of God's love for us. It doesn't happen alone. You see, God's plan for us is to experience Him together, hence the church. That's why we call it the body of Christ. We are one body. In Ephesians, if you just read through the letter, you're going to see that the love of God is wide enough to include the Jews and the Gentiles. It's long enough to choose us from eternity past to eternity future and to display us as trophies of grace. But not only that, His love for us is deep, so deep that it would take dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed sinners like you and I and save us but not just save us, He would seat us in the highest place. We have to understand. We have to know more of who God is so that our love for Him would begin to grow. I'm sure we've heard the saying, knowledge is power, and this is especially true when it comes to God's word y Baptist Church has has truly been blessed with Pastor Matt because if you guys aren't a part, and this is a shameless plug, but if you guys aren't a part of his numerous studies that he has, let me encourage you to to be a part. And and right now, we really have no excuse unless there's a scheduling issue, but if you can sit at home and if you have a computer or a cell phone, you're more than able to, to be a part of that. And the reason why I'm telling you that is this, it's not just enough to open up our Bibles and read it and just go through just a devotional material, but the more you study the depth of God's Word, the more we're going to understand the depth of His love for us. And that's what's going to transform our lives. So yes, praying and asking the Lord to have a a deeper knowledge of His love is important, but we also need to go out there. We need to start to open up the Word. We need to study it. For many of us, we don't know how. Great, that's why we have a pastor that can teach us and dig deeper and be able to connect the dots. You know, last week, <clears throat> in kids' worship, we play a little game. And I think it's so applicable. The game was very simple. Crumpled up piece of paper, you have to take it and you have to throw it into the basket. But in order for it to go to the next person so that you can win the relay race, every time the paper would go in, you have to say something that the Bible says, anything that the Bible says. So some of these kids... They would make it in there, but they wouldn't know what to say. Maybe for some of us, we don't really understand how much God loves us because we don't know what the Bible says. Maybe the only time that we open up our Bibles or we read our Bibles is when we come to church on a Sunday. It's not enough to pray, but we have to move into action. We have to put in work. We have to be involved and intentional in fellowshipping with others, in, in coming to church or getting online to study God's Word. Because that will help us to understand the love that He has for us. When Christ's love continues to fill us more and more and more, our life begins to change. Let me tell you, you cannot live your life the same once Christ fills you over and over and over again. When you're overflowing with His love, your life cannot remain the same. It is bound to change. I think Paul himself says it well in in chapter 5 of Ephesians. He writes this. He says, when we're filled with the Spirit, with the fullness of God, It says in verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we are filled with the fullness of God through His Spirit, our lives will be transformed. Some of us, we're doing it the the complete wrong way. We're trying to do it with our own will, without being transformed, without being filled. And we know how that turns out. We get frustrated. We get discouraged. We say, you know what, God, how come you're not working? Well, first of all, you weren't depending on Him. You were doing it within your own strength. Is God's love transforming our lives? The third point is this. It's a prayer for purpose and praise. (coughs) Excuse me. As Paul wraps up his prayer, he comes to this portion of his, his prayer and he begins to praise God. But one thing that I've kind of combined and tacked on to this third point is this purpose, and I didn't cover it, but it was in the beginning, and I want to kind of tie these two things together. If you look at the beginning of his prayer in verse 14, we can see that there's a, there's a clear purpose for his prayer. He uses these words, for this reason. That means that something that he, he said before the prayer is the reason for his prayer. So if you read from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 3, you're going to find that he said quite a bit. But right before chapter 3, or verse 14, the earlier part, he, he, he drops this really big bomb. And it's this revelation that he's gotten from the Lord. And he says, you know what? It's not just the Jewish people that I'm going to save but it's the gentiles as well and for many of the jewish people that was a shock to them they're like what gentiles are are they're dirty they're not the chosen but paul says no god's plan was from the beginning that the gentiles would also be included So imagine this. Imagine God's telling you, hey, this is what you're going to do, but it's not something that you really like to hear, and you actually don't want to do it. So Paul begins to pray this prayer, and he says, this is how it's going to happen. As you pray for your inner being to be strengthened by His power, that you would be having Christ dwell in you that you would be filled with all the fullness of who God is and understand His love. And it transforms our lives to do things that we never would imagine ourselves to be doing. That's the beauty of, of the Gospel. That's the beauty of God working in our lives. Paul, he, 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 he's so... Beautiful in how he writes this. It's all intertwined. It's all connected. God's plan was to include not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Every single one of us here, we were included in his plan. He wanted to bring us together. I think that's one of the beautiful things that we see in the church. That God brings people of different cultures and backgrounds and languages, socioeconomic statuses, All kinds of different areas. And he brings us together to be one family in Christ. That's such a beautiful thing. But it's not just on the surface level. God is doing a work in us to move us to do his kingdom work. And that's why I don't think it's a coincidence when you start to read chapter 4, he starts to talk about this unity Why? Because he knows that when we are obedient, when we are striving for for holiness in our lives and and making God supreme in our lives, we're going to be obedient to that. And we're going to work to, to have unity in the church. There's a purpose for Paul's prayer. And it's a necessary one. And what I think is so important is that even though Paul prayed this prayer long ago, it still applies to us today. Paul prayed this prayer for the Ephesian church, but we are praying this prayer. I am praying this prayer for this church today, for Christians here, in this room, and online today. That we would come to know who Christ is, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. That we would be Strengthen in our inner being so that we will begin to live a life that is completely different, that the world begins to be boggled in their mind and they just can't understand why we are living our lives in this way. Because of Christ who lives in us, because the Spirit of God that is working and transforming our lives. I believe that mature Christians, those who are are not only praying this prayer but are seeing the the work of God in their lives of this prayer being lived out are going to be the ones that are included in, in His kingdom work. And that's my prayer for every single one of us here, that we would all be involved in that type of kingdom work. We cannot do it on our own. If you think that church is an option, that coming to a worship service and and not being a part of church is is an option, you are wrong. Christ is the one who established the church. The church is essential. It's important. It's, It's very, very important that we gather together and that it's not just once a week that we see each other at church and just say hello and goodbye, but we need to do life together. Some of you guys may be thinking, you know, it's too hard. I'm too old. You know, I I just want to live comfortably now. But can I encourage you? Because the last part of this prayer that Paul prays, he says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, Do you know what he's saying? He's praising God, but he's praising God for the fact that no matter what we pray or the the, the craziest thing that we could think of, God is going to do far more. God is going to do far more. He's going to do exceedingly and abundantly more than what we can ask for or think of. That's the God that we believe in. That's the God that is transforming people like you and me to become more like Him. As you see on the screen, God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think. So Paul, he's wrapping up his prayer and he's praising God for that. It should be a sigh of relief for us because What he's saying is like, the reality is we can't do it. But the spirit that lives in us, but the truth that is found in his word, he is able to do it. And he will do it. See, God is doing a work in us even as we sit here. As we submit and surrender to God, as we we invite Christ to dwell in our hearts and we live with the fullness of His love in our lives, we will bring glory to Him. The church will bring glory to Him forever and ever. This is my final message to us all here today. Not just you, myself included. This is what I've been praying all week long. And God has been convicting my heart. I'm not preaching at you. This is something that I'm preaching to myself as well. All of us have areas that we need to surrender to the Lord. May we do that by the Spirit that is strengthening us to do it so that we would be transformed to live in this world until the day he calls us home to live bringing glory to him.